Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form for you to fill out so we can get to know you better. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. I want to begin today by giving you somewhat of a poll or a survey about things that you find acceptable. All right? So by show of hands, I want you to let me know if you think what I'm about to say is acceptable. How many of you think it is acceptable to arrive at a movie after the previews have already started? If you think that's acceptable, let me see your hand. All right. A lot of people think that's acceptable. I feel sorry for you. How many of you think it is unacceptable to arrive at a movie after the previews have already started? Let me see. All the right people in the room. Amen. All right. Here's another one. How many of you think it is acceptable to put pineapple on a pizza? Let me see your hand. How many of you think it is unacceptable to put pineapple on a pizza? Good, good, good. You're doing well so far. How many of you think, and I'm asking this question really in honor of my wife, how many of you think it is acceptable to accelerate when you see a yellow in the traffic light? Let me see your hand. How many of you think it is unacceptable to accelerate? Yeah, I'm in this crowd, right? My wife thinks it means go, but it's not what yellow means, right? Let me put a definition of the word acceptable up here on the screen. If you look it up in the dictionary, here's what it means. Acceptable. Considered by most people to be reasonable or to be something that can be allowed. We just talked about some things that some think are acceptable and others think are not acceptable. And as you can tell, depending on who you ask, there are many things that some people view as acceptable that other people view as unacceptable. And that's okay for us to disagree when we're talking about previews at the movies or pineapple on our pizza. As we continue this weekend our study together through the book of James, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to James chapter 4. We've been studying together as a faith family through this wonderful letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, James. And as we're continuing our study through this letter written by James, James begins to address some things that God calls sin that have unfortunately become acceptable sins. Give me that definition back up here again for the word acceptable. Considered by most people to be reasonable. James is about to, over the next several weekends as we study together in this letter, let me just go ahead and warn you. 
James is about to get in our business. If you're ready for that, say amen. <laughs> I don't think you mean it, but I'll take it. We maybe should say, oh, me, instead of amen. Because I'm telling you, James is about to get in our business. James is about to begin to address some things that a lot of people that call themselves Christians find reasonable. Or something that can be allowed. It's okay. It's not that big a deal. But here's what I want you to know and what James is telling us. God calls it sin. Everybody okay? Let's look at it. James chapter 4, verse 11. Have no idea what that was. I'm looking at the guy back there who should know, and he's looking at me like this. So nothing fell, so we're good. Great. James chapter 4, verse 11. First two words. Do not. Let's stop right there. That's not ambiguous. It's pretty clear, right? Say the first two words out loud. Do not. Now, in English, we read this phrase, do not. In the Greek language, one of the ways that they show emphasis is by placing at the beginning of the sentence the, the word that they want to put all the emphasis on. So in English, we translate this do not. But in the Greek language, you know what the first word is in the Greek text? It's the word not. Emphasis on the word not. Anytime in the Greek text, the word not is the first word in the sentence. It literally means never, ever, ever do this. It doesn't mean most of the time. It doesn't mean some of the time. When the Greek text puts the word not at the beginning of the sentence, it is the, the, the writers in the New Testament. It's the Holy Spirit's way of saying never, ever, ever do this. So what we're about to read, the Bible can't say any more plainly, this is not to be acceptable behavior for a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's read on. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We're going to read on here in a second, but I want to let that sink in for a minute. Never, ever, ever is it acceptable behavior for a follower of Jesus to speak evil against another follower of Jesus. If we lived that out, do you know how it would change Christian fellowship? Never, ever, ever let anything come across your lips about a brother or sister in Christ that is speaking in a way that is harmful about them. I told you James is about to get in on us, right? Everybody's quickly checking their social media posts. 
Let's be honest, that, that phrase alone would dry up most Christian social media accounts. There wouldn't be anything left to post but what you ate for lunch today if we lived that out. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother, and the implication is or sister, or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It's one of those texts, to be quite honest, I could just go sit down now. I'm not going to, but I could because it pretty much said it, right? I want to unpack this text by asking two questions and then stating a truth. Here's the first question. What does it mean to speak evil against one another? I mean, if the Bible says never, ever, ever do this, we might want to know exactly what he's talking about when he says, don't do that. Don't speak evil against one another. Well, to understand what it means, let's look at the two phrases. The first phrase is speak evil against. What does that mean? Well, that, that, that phrase speak evil against, in the Greek language, it's just one verb. We translate it with three words, speak evil against. It's often translated in the New Testament with one word, the word slander. But it's a word that's made up of two Greek words put together. The first one is the word kata, which means to oppose or to be against, to, to come against somebody, to attack. The other word is the Greek word laleo. You put them together, it's kata laleo, katalia. This, the word laleo means to speak. It means to use words. It means to communicate with your mouth. When you put it together, it means to speak degradingly about someone, to attack the good name and reputation of someone, to slander them. I did a lot of reading this week about that phrase. I found a couple of statements by some really well-known either theologians or, or linguists. The first one is a, a great theologian from years ago by the name of Thomas Manton. Listen to what he said about this idea of speaking evil against. It's any speech that is harmful to someone else, whether true or false, now, that's important because what he's talking about here is not just lying about someone. Lying about someone is included in this idea of speaking against them. But, but Thomas Manton says it can be a true statement, but it's used to be harmful to somebody else. Then A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, listen to what he said about it. It's harsh words about the absent. It's saying something hurtful, harmful, attacking someone who's not present in order to hurt or damage them. Now, this can be done privately, whispering to a few, or it can be done publicly, criticizing someone before all. And if it wasn't an acceptable practice in the church before social media, man, it has really become an acceptable practice in the church since the advent of social media. 
People go to social media and will say things about their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they'll scream, freedom of speech. Listen to me, Christian. You and I don't have freedom of speech. We have a God that we've submitted ourselves to. Let me tell you what he said. Never, ever, ever. Freedom of speech. Listen. Never, ever, ever speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ. Listen. When we came to Jesus, we died to ourselves. That means I've died to freedom of speech. Vance, or Pastor Vance, are you saying you're not an American? No, I believe in American, the principle of freedom of speech. But I'm telling you, before I'm Amer- American, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am to never, ever, ever speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ. This word can be manifested in a lot of ways we use harmful speech. Let me give you some examples. Unnecessary criticism. Questioning legitimate authority, falsely damaging someone's reputation in secret, bringing incorrect accusations, divulging private failures and weaknesses publicly, exaggerating somebody's faults, questioning or passing judgment on somebody's motives or intentions. It's a whole laundry list of ways we can flesh this out, but James says never ever do this. This phrase in the Bible by by itself would radically change our lives if we'd begin to live it out. Do not speak evil against. And here's the second phrase that helps us understand what he's talking about. One another. Again, it's a single word in the Greek language. It's a word that means another of the same kind. It's used over 40 times in the New Testament. It's a word that's used by Jesus, Mark, Paul, Peter, and here by James in this letter. It's used exclusively to describe how we're to relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. This phrase, one another, is describing who we are as the, excuse me, as the family of God. And then if we weren't real clear, he said, speak, do not speak evil against one another. He adds this word, brothers. It's a word that means brothers and sisters in Christ. It describes a fellowship of life based on identity of origin. What's the point? Here it is. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. There is never an acceptable time for you to speak about a brother or sister in Christ publicly or privately in a way that is harmful to them. I want you to hear that. There is never. Listen, we can disagree about pineapple on pizza. We can disagree about whether or not you ought to be here for the previews of a movie. There is never an acceptable time. There's no fine print in this verse. There's no asterisk where you can look down at the bottom and see what the exception clauses are. There is never an acceptable time for you or I to speak about a brother or sister in Christ publicly or privately in a way that is harmful to them. Never. This isn't unique to James's letter. Paul teaches us the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, listen to what Paul said. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. 
That phrase, corrupting talk, it comes from a root word that means to be rotten. When you eat something rotten, it's harmful to your body physically. Paul says, let no rotten speech, no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, listen to this, that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, here's what that means. Your words about brothers and sisters in Christ should be gifts that are vehicles of God's grace into the lives of the people that you're speaking about. That's what he's literally saying here. That when you and I speak about a brother or sister in Christ, it should be a gift of grace because it is building them up and demonstrating the grace of God in their lives. So that's what it is. Here's the second question. Why is speaking evil against one another so wrong? I mean, Pastor Vance, of all the things that James could have picked on here, of all the things he could have identified, why is this such a big deal? Why is this so wrong? Why is it so bad to, to, to privately say something about somebody? Why is it such a big deal? Well, let me give you three reasons why. Number one, the Bible says never, ever, ever do it. Like that ought to be enough, right? And listen, what have we said over and over again about the commands of God in Scripture? He never gives us a command to hurt us. He only gives us a command to what? Help us. When God says do something, he's saying help yourself. When God says don't do something, he's saying don't hurt yourself. What he's saying here is don't do this because it's not only harmful to you, it's harmful to your brother or sister in Christ, it's harmful to the body of Christ. The Bible says never do it. That's why it's so wrong. But here's the second reason. Harsh words come from a judgmental heart. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15? He said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the what? The heart. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. He said, what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. You see, what James is saying is when you and I speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ, it reveals that we've already judged them in our heart. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. That word judge there is a word that means to pass an unfavorable judgment upon someone, to condemn them, to criticize them. The reason we're saying those things out of our mouth is because in our heart, we've already sat as judge and jury and condemned them. We found them short of whatever we expected them to measure up to, and so we feel justified in our pronouncement of who they are. We've already judged them in our hearts. One of the reasons harsh words are so wrong is they reveal the wickedness of our own heart. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged. Now, is Jesus here demanding that we never use good judgment in our relationships? No, he's simply demanding that we never have a condemning critical spirit towards others. Here's the bottom line. It's impossible to love one another and at the same time have a condemning critical spirit towards one another that leads to speaking evil against one another. You cannot love your brother and sister in Christ and speak evil against them at the same time. So by 
Speaking evil against a brother or sister in Christ, not only are you sinning and speaking evil against them, but you're adding to that sin, or I'm adding to that sin, because now I'm also not loving them as we've been commanded to in Scripture. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Pastor Vance, what about when I see a brother or sister in Christ who's living unwisely or who's embracing a pattern of sin in their lives? Don't I have a responsibility to speak into their lives? And to that, I would say absolutely yes. We have a biblical responsibility to speak critically, don't miss this, into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ when we see something in their lives that seems out of step with who Jesus is. But we never have the biblical authority to speak critically about our brothers and sisters in Christ to others in a way that's harmful to their reputation, even if you cloak it as a prayer request. Hey, I need you to pray for brother so-and-so. Let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I heard. Let me tell you the decision they made. Cloaking it as a prayer request doesn't make it any more right or justified according to Scripture. We do have a biblical responsibility to speak into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ when we see them living in a way that's not consistent with who Jesus is. But we never have the biblical authority or responsibility to talk about them to someone else. And Jesus gave us the example of how to do this. Let me show it to you in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave us the example for how to speak into the life of a brother or sister in Christ when we see them out of step with who Jesus is. He gave it to us in Matthew 18. Now, people oftentimes refer to this passage of Scripture as a passage of Scripture about church discipline. But listen, that is not the heartbeat of these verses. This is not verses. These are not verses about church discipline. These verses are all about reconciliation and redemption. That's the purpose of these verses. Listen to what it says. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, If you see some area of sin in your brother's life, go and tell him his fault between you and him. How? You know why? Because you may just have a flawed perspective that needs to be cleared up in private before you go make this public. You may be wrong in your assumption. You may have not seen what you thought you saw. You may have not heard what you thought you heard. And you want to go to your brother or sister in private to give them an opportunity first to clarify. It's assuming the best and communicating to clarify. Jesus said, go to him alone. Look what it says. If he listens to you, you gain your brother. Reconciliation. If he doesn't listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, that is not saying get two or three people who agree with you and you go confront them together. No, here's what you're doing. You're bringing one or two others to say, hey, they see it this way. I see it this way. We need somebody objective to look at this with us to help us navigate exactly what's going on here. So we first go in private. If we reconcile, there's grace, there's beauty in that. If there's not reconciliation, then we get a couple of other people involved so that we can try to bring this situation to reconciliation. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, 
Tell it to the church. What does that mean? You get your spiritual leaders involved, your small group leader, a pastor, some ministry leader. You get others involved. Why? To, to beat up on them? No. The whole purpose is reconciliation and redemption. We're wanting to guard a brother or sister in Christ, their reputation, their testimony. Then look what it says. If he refuses to li- listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? Kick him out and have nothing to do with him. No, how did Jesus teach them to relate to the Gentiles and tax collectors? That's the people they'd been called to reach. That's the people they'd been called to share the gospel with. Here's what he's saying at the end. Man, if you get there, you need to pray for them with a broken heart for their soul. Because what they're really saying by rejecting all of that is they're saying they're not really a follower of Jesus at all. Harmful words come from a wrong heart, a heart that's already judged a brother or sister. And it's so wrong because what Jesus desires out of us is our heart to be right with him. See, by the time it bubbles up to words about somebody, there's already been some stuff going on in my heart that's not right. Here's the third reason why it's so wrong. Harmful or harsh words about a brother or sister in Christ destroys our witness to a watching world. Listen to what James says. If you speak evil against a brother or judge your brother, you're speaking evil against the law and judging the law. James says when you start talking about a brother or sister in Christ, what you're really doing is you're standing in condemnation of the law of God. You say, what in the world does that mean? Think about this. The law of God is love explained systematically and practically. I'm going to say it again. I want you to grab it. The law of God is simply his love explained systematically and practically. You say, I don't understand. What does the law say? You shall not steal. You know why it says that? Because if you love somebody, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to steal from them, right? The law is the systematized and practical expression of what it looks like to love somebody. If you love somebody, what are you not going to do? You're not going to steal from them. The Bible says, the law says, you shall not murder. Well, you know what? If you love somebody, you're not going to murder them. Amen? I mean, that just goes without saying. The law says... That you shall not bear false witness. It means you shouldn't lie about somebody. Well, obviously, if you love somebody, you're not going to lie about them. The law of God is simply the systematized and practical expression of what it looks like to love one another. That's why when Jesus was asked about the law, remember in the New Testament when the, the, the lawyer came to Jesus and tried to stump him and said, what's the greatest commandment? How Jesus answered. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 22. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what he said. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Here's what Jesus said. You love God with your whole heart. You love your neighbor as yourself. You'll never break one of God's commandments. Everything hangs on that. And that's why James is telling us here, when we speak evil against one another, we're failing to love one another and therefore denying the authority of God. What we're really saying by pronouncing judgment in our own heart and speaking evil against them, what we're really saying is, my law is bigger than God's law. I don't have to live that out. And not only are we denying the authority of God, we're damaging the reputation of Christ to a watching world. What did Jesus say? John 13. Listen to what he said in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you what? Say it out loud. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. What did he say next? By this, all people will know you're my disciples. How? By keeping the law. No. If you have love for one another. So when you and I are out there on social media or in a private setting or in a public setting, and we're bad-mouthing the reputation of another Jesus follower, not only does it reveal something about our own heart, the condemning spirit, critical spirit in our own heart, but here's what it does. It speaks evil against the very law of God, denies the authority of God, and it lets a watching world who's looking at us go, well, they don't really care about the law of God. They don't even love their neighbors themselves. They don't love one another. It was, to me, one of the most tragic things of 2020, watching brothers and sisters in Christ go at each other openly on social media in front of a watching world. When they needed to see more than ever before that what we have in Christ is better than what they have apart from Christ. And that's exactly what James is addressing here. So that's what it is. That's why it's so wrong. Here's the last thing, a final truth. God will have the final say. After James lays this out in verse 12, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. James reminds us that there's only one judge. I love that in the Greek, <laughs> in the Greek language where it says here, there's only one lawgiver and judge, it says here in the English, he who is able to save. But in the Greek language, there's a definite article there. It's literally the one the only one who is able to save. The only one who is able to destroy. Meaning there's not a whole bunch of judges. There's just ultimately one judge. There's only one God. He will have the final say. So let me give you some practical handles to close this. I first of all want to talk to you that are already followers of Jesus. If you are committing the sin of speaking evil against a brother or sister in Christ. Here's what you need to know. God will have the final say. God will have the final say. And if you're living that way and you're doing it continuously and it's the practice of your life to speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ, it's not only 
damaging the reputation of Christ. Let me tell you what else it's doing. It's damaging your ability to enjoy fellowship with Jesus. One of the best books I've ever read on the subject of relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ is by a man named Roy Hessian. It's called The Calvary Road. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from it as we wrap this up today. Roy Hessian said this, Everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, comes as a barrier between us and God. Our relationship with our fellows and our relationship with God are so linked that we cannot disturb one without disturbing the other. If I'm speaking evil against a brother or sister in Christ, here's what you need to know. It is damaging my own ability to enjoy fellowship with the Father. So what do we do? We do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what he said. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift there before the altar and you go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. If someone today is committing the sin of speaking evil against a brother or sister in Christ, let me tell you what needs to happen in just a moment. We're going to have a time where we respond. We sing a song of worship. We'll have pastors here at the front. Listen, the first thing that may need to happen today, this weekend, you may need to go to somebody in this room. You may need to make a phone call when this service is over. You need to say, hey, I need to get with you because I've been doing something wrong and I need to make it right and I need you to forgive me. I need to reconcile. Secondly, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're already a follower of Jesus, and you know that someone is committing the sin of speaking evil against you, what do you do? Well, you do what Matthew 18 said. You go to him in private first. You say, I've done that. And you get a couple other people involved. Done that. Get your small group leader, spiritual leader involved. Done that. What do we do then? 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what it says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here's what that means. You trust God. You take it to him. You lay it before him. You trust him that he is the ultimate judge and authority, that he is the one who's in control. You say, that's a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do. But listen to what Roy Hessian said in his book. Again and again, we see the thing in us that reacts so sharply to another's selfishness and pride is simply our own selfishness and pride, which we are unwilling to sacrifice. We shall have to accept another's ways and doings as God's will for us and meekly bend the neck to all of God's providences. That does not mean that we must accept another's selfishness as God's will for them. Far from it but only is God's will for us. Here's what that means. When that person is continuing to sin against you by speaking against you, you've confronted them, you've taken other people and you've confronted them, you've done all you can do to try to reconcile that relationship, here's what you need to know. God's the ultimate authority. He's the final judge. God will have the final say and you can trust him in the end to do what's right. Until then, here's what you know. God's allowing that right now in your life for a reason. And there's some stuff in you that he wants to conform to the image of Jesus that he cannot do without that situation in your life right now. So here's what you just do. You just trust him. You just trust him. And finally, let me talk to those of you that are here that maybe are not followers of Jesus. 
When James says here at the end, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he is able to save and to destroy. Here's what James is referring to. James is referring to the reality that we will all one day stand before God either as judge or as our Savior. If you stand before him as judge, he's bound by his law. To pronounce a sentence of judgment. It's what he means here by to destroy. It's describing an eternal separation from God. If you stand before him in your own merit, if you stand before him in your own performance, in your own righteousness, you stand before him as judge trying to prove all that you've done, he can only respond in his law. And the scripture tells us that that brings judgment, which means eternal separation from God. In our court system in America, judges are bound by the law. They can only pronounce a judgment based on what the law allows. But God is not only the judge. The judge became our Savior. God, in the person of Jesus, took on human flesh, became a man, lived a sinless life, took all of your sin and my sin on himself, and he paid the penalty, the debt that we owed in front of the judge, Jesus paid on our behalf on the cross, and he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that the judge had accepted his payment for our sin. And if you and I will simply put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when we stand before God one day, he'll not be our judge. He'll be our Savior. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you today. To receive Jesus as your Savior. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.